members to our latest edition of Best of Worst of. My name is Daniel Fogel and I am the VP of Content and Community here at Recruiting Blogs. Today I am joined again by my friend, the one and only Amy Allah. Amy, in the off chance one of our listeners doesn't know who you are already, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? <laughs> yes, just in case. <laughs> I'm Amy Allah. I'm a recruiter at Microsoft, and I've been in the industry. Gosh, I think I'm entering my 16th year. Crazy. It's it's a good it's a good string. Yeah, like I said, it's a uh, a driver. Your first driver. You've been yeah, working a for a driver. <laughs> I really am just not qualified to do anything else. So I'm so the idea, so why best of worst of, uh, the idea stems from the fact that I've always found that it's easier sometimes to learn from the worst examples that you see than it is from the best examples. So today, Amy and I are going to explore the best of worst of on salary negotiation and see if we can't find some useful advice to help you guys out there improve on that process. Now, Amy just presented on this topic with us on a recent webinar. So if you guys are interested in learning more about that, just check out Recruiting Webinars, uh, our main page there, and then look for the webinar, You Go First, the Salary Negotiation negotiation how-to. And Amy and I have talked on this topic a couple times, so I thought we'd go ahead and start with some of the horror stories that I've picked up from around the uh, web. So in some of the searching that I did, uh, I found a whole laundry list of some really scary stories out there, but one of them they dubbed the squeaky wheel. Um, some of this kind of deals maybe more with people who are just doing seller negotiation beyond what we deal with as a recruiter looking for like increases, but um, I figured it kind of could all apply. So first instance, the squeaky wheel was... Um, this, is, this person was, I was told I was not allowed to make more or the same as a coworker who had the same title but way less editorial experience as I had. The reason, he would pitch a fit and no one wanted to deal with him when he was being whiny. I quit shortly thereafter. That's a little scary. Uh, <laughs> another one with, the, they dubbed this one, the magical stretching budget. Uh, this guy says, when I was younger, I asked for a raise of about 1000 per year so that I could at least break even per, uh, per month and got a hard no. When I quit a few months later for a job that paid 13000 more, they told me they could match that no problem. I obviously did not take the matching officer, or offer. And then one other one that I saw come across um, on the Ask a Manager site that Allison Green runs, she had a reader write in sharing a story where the offer letter came, the offer letter came in and after she received the offer, she tried to attempt to negotiate a $3,000 increase only to have the company completely rescind the, office, or the offer to her. So, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, you know, I think salary negotiations have been in the in the news quite a bit lately. With um, you know, Reddit was making their salaries non negotiable, and Amy here was actually interviewed uh, by the media on this topic as well. So, uh, it's something I know that's near and dear to her heart. Depends very much. So, yeah, kind of a pet peeve of mine, actually. All the bad advice out there. Those are brutal. Yeah. Those, I mean, I was kind of thinking through my own experience, you know, 15 years of doing this, and, and certainly many offers have gone awry um, on both sides, but on the manager as well as sometimes the candidate. But those are those are pretty bad. And to have it just totally rescinded over $3,000, that's, uh, that's pretty insane. So that, that might have been a, a dodged bullet there for that candidate, actually. I would imagine <laughs> they probably <laughs> hopefully feel like they made the right path on that one. So I guess, Amy, for you personally, what was the worst salary negotiation experience you've ever had? Or um, did you have any other terrible stories that kind of come across yeah, your mind? Actually, you know, I, I just thought of one that happened to me personally. 
Um, I, I, my last experience negotiating, I, I actually didn't negotiate my current salary or my, my salary upon joining this company because um, it was actually more than I'd asked for. So I was good. <laughs> I think, all right, you, you heard me, you, you know, I can, I can just say yes. It was a, it was a wonderful feeling. So, um, but no, actually many, many years ago, this is one of my first staffing gigs. I was running a staffing office in Southern California. And I was making like a whopping, um, I think, thirty six thousand a year. <laughs> Boom! Know, yeah, really rolling in the dough. Three yeah. stacks of high society and a little change. Nice work. <laughs> yeah, and and I believe I was at the time the only female branch manager for this uh, for this particular company. Uh, it was a white industrial staffing agency, and I think we had twenty six offices nationwide. And I was I was the lone female. Uh, which I, I probably should have tried to work that more than I did, but I, I didn't know better at the time. Uh, <laughs> and I was making about 36K plus, you know, bonuses and, and commissions and whatnot. And I remember talking to some of my peers and, you know, just, just I had mentors in other parts of the company and just kind of talking through where do I go from here, what's next, and found out I was grossly underpaid. Shocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not blaming that on gender, but I think just my... Uh, youth and my, you know, kind of being newer in the industry um, had more to do with it. But I went to my boss and wrote up a proposal and, you know, this is why I think I'm worth X amount. And I think I asked for 40K, which, you know, $4,000 increase year over year, which is, I, I guess, kind of a lot, but, you know, just what, 11% or something? Yeah. But it still would put me still at the bottom of, of where my peers were. And we actually went back and forth over the course of a few weeks. And I think they finally gave me 38, but they added some other stuff to my workload. Like they, I had to take on, I don't even remember the details, but there, basically I had to work harder. Yeah. For <laughs> my easily $2,000 raise, and I just... It was so hard. And looking back on it now, knowing what I know now, I should have quit and went somewhere else for 50. The, the hindsight is, is always, always 20-20. Isn't it? Oh, crazy. I, I've been lucky enough to have a, uh, a couple of bad experiences, so yay me. But um, <laughs> I had one offer. This company was bizarre. And um, I was looking to start working and was kind of uh, excited about it. I had some friends who were working there. And... Uh, I knew basically with a couple of friends of mine were waking, and when I got the offer, it was my offer was like essentially three thousand dollars less than the uh, the other people's offer, and it was like a basic intro position. But in digging in and asking, like, well, I thought this was a starting bay. I found out from the recruiter at the time, he's like, well, we have target schools, and the people who go to those target schools and like target fraternities and sororities, we are able to offer them a higher premium. But since that's, you know, I knew people went to University of Georgia, but since I went to Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech was not one of their target schools. So like I off the bat was not going to get any extra pay. Um, and then like if you're like, well, that seems a little odd, you know, uh, but it's like, well, what I'm hearing is you don't really want the job. So uh, definitely kind of bad. Another really bad one. I got offered a position in um, in Tokyo for a company, uh, same company I was working for, uh, and they just wanted me to move and help them uh, open up something over there. But this is like pre-pay uh, scale time frame, so you really didn't know what a lot of the people were earning unless you kind of knew people. So I had a couple of colleagues working as expats already, and I knew basically what their compensation packages were. So when I got my offer letter... Uh, my offer letter came back almost a full thirty thousand dollars less than the round of people who they'd sent as expats the first round, 
and it was wow. moving to you know one of the most expensive cities in the world. So I did my research to kind of see the range of what an expat doing my role with my experience would expect to be receiving. I wrote up a counterproposal and uh, yeah, basically was telling them how I was really excited for the role. I thought I'd be a great fit for it. I've got experience in the Asian markets. I love the culture. I'd be really happy to, to do this, what my goals would be when I'm going to be there. But also that like in my research, I noticed that like um, – you know, the salary looks like it wasn't competitive or commensurate with the responsibilities of the role. And I would like to maybe address that. And here's what my counteroffer was. But the way that silence, the awkward silence on that spot, like that phone call was probably, it yeah. might have been the first time ever that somebody had given him a counteroffer. I think they dealt mainly really? with only fresh, like college grads who had no idea about the specifics of any of that or what they were getting into. They definitely took that long pause of like no response. And then we're like, well, we're going to have to get back to you. Gave me like the long weekend. We're like, you know, I think we're going to go a different direction. It was like, understandable. <laughs> yeah. I was worried for a little while because they, uh, they definitely hold some grudges at that company. But, you know, if you can get people to do the work for $30,000 less, I can understand that, like, you don't have a massive incentive to do the right yeah. thing. Terrible. It's all about priority, right? Like, yeah. Do I want to button the seat for as little as I can get or do I want a, a quality person doing good work? I, I Yeah. That's nuts. But, you know, but what's good about that, though, is that you did do research and you had, you know, facts and figures and documentation and things that you could kind of use to prop up. I, I could tell you a horror story. Uh, I was making an offer to a candidate, and this was at my last company, which was notorious for underpaying. I mean, we, just, we, we were a small outfit. We just didn't have a lot of budget for salary. But I always told people that, you know, like, hey, here's other great reasons to work here, money isn't necessarily one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was always very transparent, very upfront about that. My offers were not generally a huge surprise. We always kind of knew where we were going to land, what we were going to look like, and uh, went down this road with a, a candidate who happened to be a referral. So even had friends at the company that could, you know, level set and, and say, yes, she's right, this is what we all make, you know, and that's <laughs> those conversations happen. Um, gave him an offer very much in line with, with what his, his buddies were at and, and what we talked about all along. And he lost his shit on me. <laughs> I mean, just, he had never been more insulted in his life. And he couldn't believe that I would actually dare to call him with a number like that. And didn't I realize that he... Uh, drove a, a BMW or something. I don't even remember what kind of car, but, you know, and he has bills and he has this and he has, I, I mean, it was one of the most ridiculous counters I've ever heard. <laughs> wow. Like, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. So, so what does your standard of living have to do with my labor market? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand the correlation here, so. Needless to say, um, I, I wanted to pull the offer, but that's not how I roll. I just said, hey, it is what it is. I I'm going to assume that this is a no. And I think that's about the time you come up on me. So it didn't work out, you know. But again, he didn't really have a really good argument. <laughs> yeah. No. Don't you know what I've done on my own time to put myself in this position? Yeah. Understandable. Exactly. <laughs> I have serious well, gambling no, debts. problem I don't know, but yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then, um, you know, flip side, what was your best seller negotiation experience you've had? You know, what did they do that was special? What stood out? And, you know, what made it memorable or enjoyable or, you know, that you want to pay it forward? Yeah, totally. And again, I think even just my own personal experience, I try to really operate this way as well on the recruiting side. But when I 
uh, interviewed with Microsoft, and, and I, was, I was already working on contract, and I'm doing pretty well. But there's obviously a, a, a lot of things you don't get, you know, when you're a, when you're a contractor. So definitely weighing benefits and stock and all these other things. So I talked to my recruiter several times, and, you know, what can I realistically expect, and what do you think, and how's my background stack up, and just really had a lot of, of kind of heart-to-heart conversations around comp and what's reasonable, and, you know, I, I trusted him, and that's what I always encourage candidates, too, you know, hey, trust your recruiter, talk to us, let us know where your head's at, what you're thinking, so I tried to be that kind of candidate, and my recruiter, David, who's amazing, he was very honest. He said, this is probably where we'll land. You know, conservatively speaking, we're around X number. And I said, okay, that's great. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm really looking for Y. If I get Y, I'll be so happy. You know, a little bit more than, than your number. But he's like, I understand. No problem. You know, we'll definitely keep that in mind. But keep in mind, we're, our numbers are, you know, not too far off. So go through the interview process, and, you know, he's kind of touching base to me every time, okay, remember we talked about this? Yep, I'm good, still on board. When the offer actually rolled out, it was significantly more than his number, and so a, a nice, decent jump more than even my number. So I'm kind of looking at the offer and going, I, I kind of just want to say yes. Like, <laughs> you know, Negotiation not needed. Can I do that? <laughs> But bear with me, you know, here I am, this professional recruiter. I've been doing this 13, 14 years, and I kind of feel like I should know how to do this, but can I just say yes? And he goes, what? (laughs) He's very confused by my question. I said, okay, look, I'm a recruiter. Am I supposed to negotiate? Like, am I being tested? And he starts laughing. He goes, Amy, if you like the offer, just say yes. It's a great offer. You interviewed well. Just go with it. Okay, good. We're going with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and cash that check right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but it was, uh, I, I just, I, it was such a great experience, and it felt, it was such a relief to just feel well compensated and feel like I've been hurt, to feel like the company had taken care of me. You know, it just, it felt good to just say yes and not worry that I'm leaving something on the table. I know that speaks to our brains all the time. So, I don't know. I just try to do that for my candidates, too. I, I love to call people up and say, hey, remember we talked about 115? I got you 120. Yay! You know, whatever. <laughs> so, that's just a great feeling. I've read one positive story that was like uh, a woman went in to do her negotiating for the salary and wasn't sure what she was going to say, you know, kind of had an idea. And they were like, well, what, what, where do you think she should be at? She's like, I was thinking 36 is a good number. And in her head, she was thinking 36,000, but she got her paycheck and the guy had agreed with her and he was putting her in at 36 an hour. It's like more than double what she was wow. expecting. It was like, <laughs> so apparently also leaving the, uh, you know, the common, the, the zeros afterwards can maybe work to your favor. Yeah, totally. I, I had a, a contract she's like that once, and, and she's like, well, we're going to offer you 50. I'm like, thousand? And she starts laughing. She's like, no, don't be silly. 50 I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so years ago, I mean, that was just unheard of in my world. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Keep that poker face on. <laughs> 
for for me, the positive experience probably really similar to yours. Um, I, I had a manager, former manager, somebody I'd worked with who had moved on and always liked the work that I did and thought that like I was uh, undervalued in what I was doing and had pitched me coming on board to his recruiter. The recruiter came and uh, approached me and kind of gave me a really great uh, experience. Is like this is what uh, you know this this guy had been saying about you. Said you were great. We were thinking about offering you a position. We want to do this, and you know the the whole thing was it really was a, a really nice salary bump that like was much more than I was earning, but it was also like the the respect factor and like the the kind of yeah. trust and relationship. It was like great to know that I had that recruiter in my corner, that former like kind of manager peer in my corner, and it made the whole thing like you didn't feel like on the defensive. It was definitely like I felt like. Um, when you talked win 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 on our on our webinar, um, I, I felt like that was you know wins all around. I was really happy. I knew the colleague of mine was happy. That recruiter seemed happy. So like it was it was a big plus. It's awesome, right? It, I mean, no, it can't always be like that. But isn't that what we should always strive for? Yes, I think you I know. Mean, hopefully, not those people who just like you're making a counter offer. Like you're out the door. No. And get somebody else. It's not a very candid experience mentality. Yeah, yeah. I, and I try to always, you know, keep that in mind. Like, and there are some candidates I know that just they feel like they have to at least ask the question, and that's cool. You know, I have no problem with that, and I don't mind a good, healthy, you know, debate. But I, I would just make the point, like you did in your with the Tokyo thing. You know, like just have your ducks in a row. Here's why. Here's where this is coming from. I'm not pulling numbers out of my ass, you know, because that, that doesn't get us anywhere. So. Yeah, I thought the other the alternative strategy I was looking at was uh, that Goodwill Hunting was going to send Ben Affleck in to ask for a retainer, put him up in a suit, sit in the office, and be like, Daniel really wants to come on board your company. What could you put in my hand right now to make him come on board? And that just yeah. felt wrong. I didn't think that was going to work out for us. <laughs> So if, if you could blow up that process, and I know we talked about it before, but like for the podcast listeners, and you could redesign salary negotiation yeah. and everybody had to follow the Amy way, which would be a much better way, what are they doing differently? <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh. We have so many lesbianic prescriptions out there. We all did it the Amy way. Um, <laughs> much less stress for all. Um, I think it would be a very transparent process. I think that companies would – be willing to, to go first or to be more transparent with their ranges, that this is just where we are for these positions, that candidates would understand going into the process um, how, you know, what they can expect and how they can affect where they land in that range. We talked about this a little bit on the webinar, too, about, you know, how candidates show up in interviews and how, you know, they can prepare to, to exhibit the right kind of behaviors and, and show the right kind of skills um, during that kind of testing period to, to be worth the top end of the range. So I think the transparency, the preparation, and I'd love to see, I don't know who would possibly build this or how we could create it, but some kind of very agnostic, um, no skin in the game tool of of information, and, and I love the uh, what they did at Google. Well, Google didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> who started that spreadsheet and was passing it around internally, and people were reporting their salaries. And you know, and I get salary is a personal thing, and you know what? You, you haven't heard me say what my paycheck is, and I'm not going to. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean that's that's a personal thing, and I and I get that, but. There's also something to be said for that kind of transparency where you kind of know 
where a company's at and, and where people are landing and, and where you are relative to your peers, I think there's power with that kind of knowledge. Um, and it helps you understand, you know, hey, I am actually really, really well compensated for what I'm doing and I can feel good about that. But I also know now what's the next target to hit if I do want to work towards an increase. What should I learn? What should I practice? Where do I need to grow? So just just to have, and I don't know who would build it because I think places like, you know, Glassdoor and Payscale and, and some of these others, they're not necessarily driven by the community per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always kind of wonder how accurate, accurate it is. It is. Yeah. Right? So... If we could build that, if I had a magic wand and I could build like a totally agnostic, transparent, accurate database of salaries. We need like the IRS's database of salaries. That'd be probably the most accurate. Yeah. So what do you think about uh, firms who are doing like completely transparent salaries like uh, Buffer? I think Buffer does their salaries where it's depending on your rate and what you come in at, then you, you're locked into one kind of specific rates. But you can basically do a little math formula and you figure out exactly what anybody in the company is, is, is earning based on kind of uh, time and experience of where they started. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think there's a value to that. But at the same time, the last thing I want is for top performers to be shackled to to people who aren't quite up to their level. Yeah. So that's a tricky thing. So is it, you know, are we fair across the board with salary and then we have flexibility on bonus maybe? You know, if somebody is just really shining, well, that person gets a bump or that person gets some other sort of incentive. I don't know because I think there's still got to be room for that very personal you know, you're awesome, so we're going to give you this. Or, you know, you've done 10 times the work of your peers, so you have earned something more. I don't know. There's got to be a balance there, though, right? I agree. I think I it's, think, you know, the right? very double-edged sword. And, I, you know, it's a very effective carrot for maybe not everybody, but a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, but that company in, uh, in Seattle where you are who made the $70,000 yeah. salaries and, um, you know, it's like, it gets great for some people, but it's also like it doesn't exactly reward some of the people who, you know, you know, to me, there's other things, too, because, you know, just because you spend 80 hours in your job a week, if somebody else is doing the same job at 35, are you mad at the guy doing 35 and being effective? Or are you mad at the person who's, you know, I think you get burnout. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces in that to kind of tease out and figure. Absolutely. And that was Gravity Payments, the company that you're talking about. And I wrote about a, a blog about the, you know, the $70,000 solution and how I didn't necessarily agree with it, but one of the unintended consequences there is he actually lost a couple of his top people. Mm-hmm. So, and it was for that exact reason. One was, I think, uh, I don't know her exact title, but I think she was the finance manager, something to that effect. And she had basically run the, the numbers and how does it affect the business and said, this probably isn't the right move. He did it anyway in spite of that data. So she left. And then uh, another person left because, you know, he kind of felt like, why am I going to, you know, come in and bust my hump and, you know, be a top performer when the guy next to me is just clocking in and clocking out and making the same. Like, it's not fair. So there's all those kinds of landmines, too. I, I don't know how we account for that, but um, there's just there's got to be some sort of a happy medium where people are paid fairly but yet still have the opportunity to to really earn more if they're so applied. Yeah. I think, you know, if you need that incentive structure on there. So yeah. just breaking it down again, like the um, three to five takeaways of what people need to know if they're going to be effective in their salary negotiations. What what do they need to, uh, what do they need to be doing? Yeah. So I think, and I would say this for both sides, for both the, the companies as well as the candidates, 
assume good intent. You know, not every company has good intent. I get it. We both have worked for a craft company that tried to underpay us, and that's going to happen. But I think if you come from a place of assuming that this person wants a positive outcome, that this person is looking for a good employee and wants to pay a fair wage, if we assume good intent, it just resets our our brain a little bit to a more positive conversation. So that would be one. I think two, know your own boundaries. So if I'm a company, I know this type of position is going to pay a particular rent. That's just how it is, whether that's based on comp analysis, whether that's based on my five other developers across the same team, whatever. I know I've got some boundaries here. I've got to work those boundaries. Candidates, same thing. You know what your personal budget, experience, background, current salary, like you know where your boundaries are. So respect that. You know, it, it, sometimes I think, especially if we've been unemployed, we kind of act out of desperation, take a job, you know is underpaying us because we, quote, did. Yep. Um, I, I would do that only as a last resort, and I say that as someone who did it. Yeah, I think you don't really get a whole lot of loyalty out of that if you feel, the candidate feels they're being yeah. taken advantage of, even if they could do the work. Yeah. It's like, they're you know, they're the second they get the job, they're looking for something better. For sure, it can sometimes hurt you in the long run, so, so try not to do that. So, so yeah, know your boundaries. Um, be respectful of boundaries, and then probably finally the, the third thing I would do is just do your homework. You know, if you are going to come in and ask for top dollar, understand why you can justify that. It's not because you have a BMW. It's because you're one of ten people in the local market that has a certain skill or, or whatever it is. You know, you, you have to understand this in yourself. This is why I'm worth X amount, or this is what I'm specifically bringing to the table. And same for employers. You know, if you're looking for a really hard to find skill set, you're going to have to understand that that may require going outside of, of the norm for you. You know, it, it's it's all relative. It's a supply and demand thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> where you are on that scale. <laughs> Well, Amy, thank you. Fantastic conversation, as always. I think you have uh, a really great perspective, and I love the voice that you do the vlogs, and I love hearing you talk, and it's fantastic for you to take time out of your day and, and share it uh, with, with the members. So thank you so much for joining us on this. Um, members, hope you guys enjoyed this latest Best of, Worst of. Uh, we would love to hear what you guys think. What was the best or worst salary negotiation you've ever seen or experienced? Add a comment below. Feel free to tweet me at Daniel underscore trending, or you can catch Amy at uh, a la recruiter. And uh, she's very responsive to the tweets too. A great person to connect with and very, very responsive and uh, helpful to people. So not to put too much of a burden on Amy's thing. She's, she's an amazing <laughs> person to kind of connect with. But have a great day out there. And uh, we hope to hear you guys on another one of the podcasts soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this Recruiting Daily podcast. I'm a show em and ignore